If you or any one of your kids find the sad or scary moments in books to be nearly unbearable, if maybe you or your kids get really uncomfortable when bad things happen during the stories you're reading or listening to, this episode is for you. In fact, it's an episode you might like to listen to with your kids. I'm Sarah McKenzie. I'm really glad you're here. Listening to the Read Aloud Revival Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah McKenzie, homeschooling mama of six and author of The Read Aloud Family and Teaching from Rest. As parents, we're overwhelmed with a lot to do. It feels like every child needs something different. The good news is, you are the best person to help your kids learn and grow, and home is the best place to fall in love with books. This podcast has been downloaded 7 million times in over 160 countries. So if you want to nurture warm relationships while also raising kids who love to read, you're in good company. We'll help your kids fall in love with books and we'll help you fall in love with homeschooling. Let's get started. Have you ever been camping? Maybe you've slept in a tent. There are a lot of different shapes of tents, right? A-frame tents, domes, tunnels, cabins. If you look at a campsite with lots of campers, you'll often notice several different kinds of tents. They're all different shapes and different sizes and different colors. But even though they're all different shapes, sizes, and colors, those tents have a few things in common. They all provide shelter, right? They usually consist of some kind of fabric that makes up the walls, the ceiling, the floor, and they all need poles or some kind of structure to hold them aloft. Otherwise, a tent is really just a heap of fabric on the ground, right? If you forget your poles at home, you probably have to go back to get them. The tent won't be of much use to you without them. Tents are held up by poles and stories are held up by a similar structure. Today, I want to show you the poles that are holding up many stories. We can think of stories kind of like we think of tents. They come in all shapes and sizes. They're all different from one another, but they all have a few things in common too. For example, they all have characters, right? And those characters all encounter problems. Well, knowing the structure of a story or knowing what those poles are that are holding up the tent it can be really helpful, and it can help us understand why an author might have made something really sad or tragic happen in a story we were otherwise loving. Now, the tent poles I'm talking about here aren't in every single story you'll read, but you'll see some form of them in most of the stories that you read. So I want to say right here at the beginning that if you are reading a story and get sad or scared, there is nothing wrong with you. If you find that you're maybe more sensitive and can't quite handle the intensity of stories that your siblings can, for example, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with you. God gave you all of your emotions, the happy, cheerful ones and the sad and scared ones. And when we read, we feel strongly. That's the way God made us. He designed us to respond to stories. So I am definitely not here to convince you that you shouldn't get sad or that your worry or your discomfort is something you need to fix. No way. In fact, 
I would encourage you that if you know you have a hard time with particular kinds of stories, that's really good information. That's information actually that adult readers use all the time when we're choosing books. It's a good thing to know about yourself. You know, as you're choosing books and deciding what you're going to read next, what kind of stories make you feel uncomfortable? What kind of stories are not your favorite and which ones are? We read to live other lives, to visit new places and travel through time, and yes, to feel deeply, but I think it's wise to know your limits. Parents, this is a wise thing to know about your kids because informed, self-aware adults do this all the time. They filter and decide which stories they're going to read or which movies they're going to watch based on the filters they know. What can I handle? What am I um, able to sift through and sort through? This is good information, right? This is discerning. And self-aware adults avoid topics that are too much for them. I avoid certain movies that I know are just going to either show me something or describe something or take me somewhere I don't want to go. And the same thing can, can happen with books. Not every book is for everybody. And following your gut to say, you know, this book or story is not for me right now can be a really wise decision. So when you feel really strongly kids and adults, as you're reading a story, you can be grateful that you are fully alive and fully able to be the kind of compassionate, empathetic person that really cares about others. So my advice today is not to read books that are sad, even if they're very troubling for you. Rather, what I'd like to invite you to do in this episode is look with me at what's just under the surface of the story. So we're going to like pull the fabric back on the tent so that we can see the poles that are holding it up. Because knowing how story structure makes a book work can often make those uncomfortable, sad, or scary parts of books a little less overwhelming. We can understand, you know, why the author chose to do this terrible thing to this character. We can see the beauty of the story a bit better when we look at them this way. At Read Aloud Revival, we hear sometimes from parents of kids who really struggle anytime anything bad at all happens in a story. And I'll tell you what, my now 18-year-old daughter, Allison, she, as a four-year-old child, became very, very distressed whenever Pooh, Winnie the Pooh, got stuck in the honey tree. And I don't mean like she was a little worried. I mean, she was distressed with a capital D. And I really worried that she was overly sensitive and she was not going to be able to handle stories at all because, you know, as far as story problems go, getting stuck in the honey tree is kind of mild, right? Um, But she did outgrow that. And for many years, I was pretty careful about the intensity of the stories that she encountered. And I'm really glad I was. That's what discerning parents do, right? We watch our kids and we respond to what they need and what they're ready for. We kind of help them with their training wheels as they're ready to be able to ride on their own. So again, use discernment, be your child's ally. You are the best expert on what your kids are ready for. This podcast episode and the post that goes with it is a resource to help you. If you find that your kids are having a hard time when anything goes wrong in a story and they're struggling to enjoy stories because of that, you might find what I share in this podcast to be useful. And you might want to share it with them so they can hear about what's going on underneath the story because it really can help. (laughs) 
Now let's talk about what story structure looks like. I'm talking about those tent poles. What are those tent poles? I am a total story structure nerd, so I could nerd out about this for hours and hours with you, but I won't for your sake. <laughs> and for the sake of this podcast, I want to talk specifically about a couple of points in story structure that can really help our sensitive readers. So I'm going to way simplify it for this podcast. Now, Jonathan Augsier, who's one of our favorite middle grade writers and YA writers at Read Aloud Revival, he taught a WOW Writers on Writing workshop in RAR Premium. And WOW Writers on Writing is a series of workshops where we invite our kids' favorite published authors to come teach our kids uh, elements of the writing craft. And they're one of the most popular parts of RAR Premium. If you've got kids who want to write and or who maybe need a little bit of a mm, boost when it comes to their writing to do something fun and useful and they would like to learn from the writers of their favorite books, you definitely want to check those out. Those are in rarpremium.com. So he taught this uh, WOW Writers on Writing workshop and described story structure as these three main parts. Number one, a main character has a problem that they need to fix. Number two, they take steps to solve that problem and things get worse. And number three, they discover the ultimate solution and now everything is different. I'll say those one more time. Number one, a main character has a problem that they need to fix. Number two, they take steps to solve that problem and things get worse. And number three, they discover the ultimate solution and now everything is different. Now, this is pretty simplified, right? But this pattern of three shows up in most stories that you read, most movies that you watch. It's the underlying structure of a lot of stories. We've got a character. That character has a problem. Now, if there's no problem, there's no story. <laughs> Think right now, if you can, of a story that you recently read or of a movie you recently watched. Got it? Got one just in your mind? Okay. Who is the main character? Say it out loud. Who is the main character? All right, toward the beginning of the story, did that character have a problem? It might not be in the opening scene or the opening chapter, but toward the beginning of the story, in the first 10%, 20% of the story, did they have a problem? Probably. Otherwise, there wouldn't have been much of a story. There wouldn't have been much to say. So let's take a story most of us are probably familiar with. I'm going to choose Charlotte's Web by E.B. White, which is known as being one of the finest um, children's novels ever written. And also it's very sad. Now I'm going to spoil the book for you. So I can't really talk about the story structure tent poles that I want to show you without telling you what happens. So if you don't want Charlotte's Web to be spoiled for you, um, you might not want to keep listening. However, if you are someone who has a hard time with sad stories, you might want to listen to me talking about Charlotte's Web before you read the book. It might actually help you. So um, let's talk about the tent poles that are in Charlotte's Web. We begin Charlotte's Web with a helpless pig, Wilbur. He is the runt of the litter, right? He's weak and he's pretty helpless. And very early in the story, Wilbur discovers that his owners, the Zuckermans, are only keeping him so that they can eat him because they're farmers, right? So on page 50, Wilbur says, 
I don't want to die. Save me, somebody, save me. I want to stay alive right here in my comfortable manure pile. So his problem is very clear to us. Wilbur wants to live. That's his problem that he starts the story with. Aha, this is one of those tent poles. A character has a problem that they need to fix, that they don't know how to fix, right? So we know what this character wants. In Wilbur's case, he wants to live. Now, something else very important here at the beginning. Early in our story of Charlotte's Web, Wilbur asks the other farm animals to play with him. So there's a part where he says, will you please play with me? He asked, certainly not, said the lamb. Pigs mean less than nothing to me. So Wilbur wants a friend, and he gets one, eventually, in the spider, Charlotte. So the very beginning of the story, he wants a friend, and he doesn't get one. And then a little bit into the story, he gets a friend, Charlotte. And Charlotte is not only wonderful, she also promises Wilbur that she won't let him die, which, remember, is the thing he fears most. So we know what Wilbur fears most, death, and we also know what he loves most, Charlotte. Those are two very important things to know. What does the character fear most and what does the character or who does the character love most? So we can kind of imagine this part in the story where the character might say something like, take anything else away, but please don't take away blank. So Wilbur would probably fill that in with Charlotte. Please don't take away Charlotte. Okay, this is really important. As soon as we know what the main character wants most and fears most, we can probably predict the hardest thing that's going to happen in the story. In fact, we can also predict when it will happen within the story. At about the 75% mark, or about three quarters of the way through the book, we get to another tentpole. This is what we can call the all is lost moment. So if we know what the main character most fears will happen, we can almost always guess what's going to happen at about the 75% mark, that thing that they fear. So if the main character most fears losing her favorite backpack, that backpack is probably going to be nowhere in sight at the 75% mark. If the character most fears moving away from her best friend, the best friend will very likely move away or the main character will move from the best friend at about the 75% mark. If the main character most fears deep water, that main character is probably going to find himself in a deep pool or a lake or some kind of deep water at the 75% mark because the 75% mark-ish is the all is lost moment. It is when the main character has to overcome their greatest fears to get what they most need. So if we know that what Wilbur most fears is death and what he most loves is Charlotte, you know it's coming at about the 75% mark, right? We can be pretty confident that at about the 75% mark, Wilbur is very likely going to face death and or maybe going to lose Charlotte. So let's find out what happens at the 75% mark in Charlotte's Web. At the 75% all is lost point, we get a pretty strong sense that Wilbur is going to die and that he's going to lose Charlotte. 
So we get a little hint of this on page 140. As he was dropping off to sleep, he spoke to Charlotte. Sing me that song again about the dung and the dark, he begged. Not tonight, she said in a low voice. I'm too tired. Her voice didn't seem to come from her web. Okay, so a few pages later, the rat Templeton basically tells Wilbur that his plan, his and Charlotte's plan, has failed. Charlotte and Wilbur have been trying to make him the prize pig, like this amazing, fantastic, stupendous pig that no one would slaughter because he's so wonderful because of these um, messages that Charlotte has been weaving on her spider web in his, in his barn. So... Um, a few, they're trying to win the prize, the blue ribbon at the fair. And if he can win the blue ribbon, Wilbur will be safe. But at about the 75% mark, the rat Templeton tells Wilbur that he's lost. I noticed a big blue prize on the front of his pen. I guess you're licked, Wilbur. No one will hang any medal on you. So now surely he's going to be slaughtered for me, right? And at the end of that chapter, we read this. Charlotte crouched unseen, her front legs encircling her egg sac. Her heart was not beating as strongly as usual, and she felt weary and old. So now it looks like Wilbur's going to die because he didn't win his blue prize, his blue ribbon prize, and Charlotte's going to die because she's fading. Now, you know what we said Wilbur loved more than anything, and unfortunately, oftentimes the character does lose that thing they love more than anything. In the case of Wilbur, he loses Charlotte because she has had her babies, her, I think it's 15,014 babies in an egg sac, and now it's time for her to die. She'll die after she, after she has um, created all these babies in her egg sac. So Wilbur will get to live, yes, because in a minute he's going to be saved, but he loses the thing that he loves most, which is Charlotte. This moment in Charlotte's Web might be one of the saddest literary moments. Even the author, E.B. White, he was narrating this audiobook, and he says that he, it took him 17 tries to get through recording this part, the part where Charlotte dies. 17 tries because he was crying, and it was so hard for him to read it. So we've got this character, who has a problem, tries different things to fix it. At the 75% mark, it looks like it's all failed. All is lost. And the thing the character most fears, he or she loses. But only so that the story can show the character um, what they need. So the story can help the character become who they need to be. Because the story doesn't end at the 75% mark. So take a close look here. This is one of those tent poles I really want you to see. I want you to know the all is lost moment is there. Because if you know when you first start a story that what a character most fears will happen at around the 75% mark will happen, and this is important, in order for them to become who they need to be, then you won't be quite as horrified or shocked when it happens. And now you know that you're going to get to bear witness to that character overcoming odds and becoming who they need to be to fix the problem they started with. 
it also can help because when you get to that really super sad part, you know it's not the end. The character hasn't become who he or she needs to be yet, right? They have to overcome their weaknesses first. This is really important. What was Wilbur's weakness? Well, right from the very beginning of our story, he was this weak little runt, right? He threw himself down dramatically and cried. He needed to be tended and cared for. He needed to become strong and determined. That's what he needs. To overcome his weakness, he needs to become strong and determined and he needed to become a good friend not just to want a good friend but to be a good friend and by the end of the story after Charlotte dies her babies start hatching from the egg sac I'll read to you from this part all winter Wilbur watched over Charlotte's egg sac as though he were guarding his own children he had scooped out a special place in the manure for the sack next to the board fence on very cold nights, he lay so that his breath would warm it. For Wilbur, nothing in life was so important as this small, round object. Nothing else mattered. Patiently, he awaited the end of winter and the coming of the little spiders. So then the babies start hatching, and this is wonderful. And then it's not wonderful because they start ballooning off because that's what the, the spiders do. They, they point their spinnerets in the air. They let loose this cloud of fine silk and then they fly off in the wind and that's how they disperse themselves that's what they're supposed to be doing right but Wilbur's sad because now he's lost Charlotte and he's losing the babies and he says come back children come back and they're all saying goodbye 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 and then he hears salutations up in the top of his barn and he looks up and there is not one, not two, but three of Charlotte's children who have decided to stay and they're naming themselves after their mother and they're just delighted to be there. But at the very end, we, we find out that Wilbur was never without friends. And this is what it says at the end of the book. Charlotte's children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren year after year lived in the doorway each spring there were new little spiders hatching out to take the place of the old. Most of them sailed away on their balloons, but always two or three stayed and set up housekeeping in the doorway. Mr. Zuckerman took fine care of Wilbur all the rest of his days, and the pig was often visited by friends and admirers, for nobody ever forgot the year of his triumph and the miracle of the web. It goes on a little more just a bit after that. So here's what you can remind yourself at that 75% mark. This hard thing is going to help the character become who they need to be. Speaking of Charlotte's Web, Kate DiCamillo once uh, wrote this story of her friend who she says read Charlotte's Web over and over and over as a child. Let me read what Char uh, Kate DiCamillo wrote and I'll link to this in the show notes. My childhood best friend read Charlotte's Web over and over again as a kid. She would read the last page, turn the book over, and begin again. A few years ago, I asked her why. What was it that made you read and reread that book? I asked her. Did you think that if you read it again, things would turn out differently? Better? That Charlotte wouldn't die? No, she said. It wasn't that. I kept reading it not because I wanted it to turn out differently or thought that it would turn out differently, but because I knew for a fact that it wasn't going to turn out differently. I knew that a terrible thing was going to happen, and I also knew that it was going to be okay somehow. I thought that I couldn't bear it, but then when I read it again, it was all so beautiful, and I found out that I could bear it. 
That was what the story told me. That was what I needed to hear, that I could bear it somehow. And so that's what a story does, right? It helps us see that others can face what they think they cannot face and become stronger because of it. Have you ever read Frog and Toad's A Lost Button? I love Frog and Toad. Okay, so in this story, <laughs> Toad has a problem. He's lost his button, right? He wants his button more than anything. Take anything else, but don't take away my button. Give me back my button. <laughs> okay, so he spends the story trying to find it and failing. And that's really the essence of what a story is. A character has a problem, and they try things, and they fail to get it. And at the 75% mark, we really think Toad is not going to get that button. The story, in the story, the text says this. Toad put the thin button in his pocket. He was very angry. He jumped up and down and screamed, The whole world is covered with buttons, and not one of them is mine. Toad ran home and slammed the door. But that's not the end, right? No, because this is the 75% mark. In the end, Toad does get his button, but first, he has to overcome his weakness. His weakness in this story is that he's not very kind to his friend Frog while they were looking for his button. <laughs> he valued the button over his friend, and he was rude and angry, and he let anger get the better of him. So in this story, Toad overcomes his weakness of anger, and even though we don't think at the 75% mark that he'll ever find his button, he does, in the very end, right? In a really sad book, the 75% mark might be the point where someone the main character loves more than any other dies. It might be that someone they love moves away. Very, very sad things can happen here at the all is lost moment. And calling this moment the all is lost can help you. Because when you name it, you remember that, you know, what's happening underneath the tent. It reminds you that the tent isn't all there is. There's a pole underneath there holding that tent up. And this pole is called the all is lost and the author put it there on purpose. It has to happen to hold the tent up. It has to happen to make the story work. The author knew that, right? The author knew that what the story needed was for the main character to face the thing that he or she was most afraid of happening in order to become the person that he or she needed to become. So then knowing that at the 75% mark, the main character will face their biggest fear and knowing it won't end there can help you. Because if you know this is what is happening underneath the tent, if you know this is what is happening underneath the story, you might just feel a little better about the sad parts. If you know this about a story, it might help you when you get to that sad or scary part of the book. You can ask yourself, okay, what is the author doing here and why did he or she put this in here, right? Because when an author is writing, they're often asking themselves, what's the worst thing that could happen to my character? And then they're making that happen. I know this because I, I read a lot of writing books and I'm in a lot of writing trainings and I talk to a lot of authors and this is a question they ask themselves. What's the worst thing that could happen to my character? And then they make that happen. 
I know, authors are the worst, right? (laughs) Why do they do this? They do this because this is what a story is. A story is a character with a problem, and they have to try things to fix their problem and fail until it looks hopeless, and then they overcome their weakness in order to succeed. And the very best stories, even though they might take us somewhere really, really sad, leave us in a place of hope. So first we have to watch the character face that thing he thinks he cannot face. And then we see the character, and hopefully we see ourselves in our own real world, right? In a whole new light, with new eyes. The characters become who they need to become, and we become who we need to become. Because as Julian of Norwich says, all will be well, and all will be well, and all manner of things will be well. And when you get to that all is lost moment, you can remind yourself, whew, we are at the 75% mark. It's supposed to look hopeless. All will be well and all will be well and all manner of things will be well. So the next time you're reading a story or watching a movie, see if you can find the tent poles underneath. See if you can find those couple of the, the two tent poles I really told you about. One at the beginning where you're finding out what does this character want more than anything and what do they fear more than anything. Because once you can answer those two questions, what do they want more than anything and what do they fear more than anything, you can probably make a guess as to what that tent pole at the 75% mark, the all is lost, is going to happen. And then when you're at the 75% mark, you can ask yourself, what weakness does this character have to overcome? Because that will remind you that this character's not done yet. They've just got to overcome their biggest weakness. And sometimes this can be really hard to see while you're reading or while you're watching the movie, and it's easier to see after you've finished it. So sometimes I just read a story and don't worry about any of this at all. But afterward, especially if I got really upset at the 75% mark, I might take a second and go back through and see if I can pick out those tent poles, see if I can recognize what was it that the character wanted and, and what did they fear most of all, and what was the weakness they had to overcome? What was the all is lost moment? What was the worst thing that could happen to this character? Well, it probably happened at that 75% mark. Remember, we're all made differently, right? But just how God intended Not any one of us is a mistake. So it's okay to not like really sad stories. So even if you have this tentpole strategy and you can remember, okay, this is the 75% all is lost moment and I know what the character wants and I know what the character is afraid of and you have all this information and you still think, but I really still don't like sad stories, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with you. Um, You know, even E.B. White, the author of Charlotte's Web, when he was narrating that audiobook, the saddest part of that audiobook took him 17 times to try to get through the recording of it. So he's there recording this audiobook that he wrote. <laughs> he could have made it come out differently, right? But it took him 17 tries to get through reading the saddest part of his book without crying. So if you are someone who just really doesn't like sad stories, there are a lot of other stories that are not as sad, that are not as dark or as heavy. And so read those like crazy. 
Okay. And then parents, as you're helping discern, you know, which books are good for your good fit for your kids. And as you're trying to help your more sensitive readers find books that stretch and grow them, but don't make them feel uncomfortable or put too much of a burden on them. Um, use book lists and trusted resources to kind of help you pick those. Of course, we have tons of book lists at Read Aloud Revival, readaloudrevival.com. You can use all of those. I also highly recommend uh, the book recommendations at redeemedreader.com. They have great book reviews, especially for books that are coming out more recently, and they kind of just give you a heads up as to the kind of content that your child might encounter in the book, and that can be really helpful. And then another place I often go is commonsensemedia.org because there people will put, you know, reviews or just comments about different hard things that come up in the book. So they can be a good way for you to preview, is this a good fit for my child at where they are right now? So uh, go to those places, you know, preview what the story might contain and kind of give you a little insight as you discern what's a good fit for your kids. Remember, you are the expert on your own kids. So there is no one book list or that they have to read or there's no um, book that every child must read or nothing like that. You get to choose. And so you can choose to get books that are lower in intensity or higher in intensity depending on the way God made your child and what they're ready for. And then maybe someday, you know, sad stories will get easier. And also maybe just knowing about the tent poles, knowing what's holding the story up will make reading sad books a little bit easier because you can kind of like back up and see it from a bird's eye view or like a more cerebral view of like, hmm, what is the author doing here? But whatever you do, Don't let the fear of sad or scary or intense books keep you from reading. Look for the tent poles. Look for the hope. Hello, my name is Abigail Lee. I am nine years old. I'm from Dearborn, Michigan. My favorite books are Cats for Sale, Because the Monkeys Are Silly, and Junipy Jones, Because She is Hilarious and Mischievous. Hi, my name is Anna Lise, and I'm eight years old, and my favorite book is Angelina Ballerina. And why do you like Angelina Ballerina? <gasps> because she dances, and I always wanted to be a dancer. Hello, my name is Caleb, and I'm seven years old, and my favorite book is The Boxcar Children. My favorite part when they uh, find a boxcar. Bye-bye. My name is Ellie, and my favorite book is The Little House, and I'm three years old, and I'm from Georgia. My name is William, and I'm six years old, and I'm from Georgia, and one of my most favorite books is The Wild Robot. It's because she lands on a wild island, and she learns about the animals and becomes their friend. Oh, thank you so much, kids. I love hearing about the books that you are enjoying, and you've picked some winners in this group. If your kids would like to leave a message for the podcast, you can go to readaloudrevival.com slash message. That's where they can leave me a voicemail. If this episode has been interesting to you, be sure to check out the WOW Writers on Writing Workshop inside RAR Premium. Um, It's called Storytelling Made Simple, and it's taught by Jonathan Auxier. It's just one of the workshops he did for us, and both of his workshops, and in fact, all of our Writers on Writing workshops have been really excellent. So you can learn more at rarpremium.com to find out how your kids can take workshops from some of today's best published authors.
Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. I can't wait. I'm glad that you're here. And in the meantime, you know what to do. Go make meaningful and lasting connections with your kids through books. So many of us feel overwhelmed in our homeschool. There's a lot to do, and it feels like every child needs something a little different. The good news is, you are the best person on the planet to help your kids learn and grow, and home is the best place to fall in love with books. I'm Sarah McKenzie. I'm a homeschooling mother of six, the author of Teaching from Rest, and the Read Aloud family, and I'm the host here on the Read Aloud Revival podcast. This podcast has been downloaded over 8 million times. And you know, I think it's because so many of us want the same things. We want our kids to be readers, to love reading. We want our homes to be warm and happy havens of learning and connection. We know that raising our kids is the most important work of our lives. That's kind of overwhelming, right? You are not alone. In Read Aloud Revival Premium, we offer family book clubs, a vibrant community, and Circle with Sarah coaching for you, the homeschooling mom, so you can teach from rest, homeschool with confidence, and raise kids who love to read. Our family book clubs are a game changer for your kids' relationship with books. We provide you with a family book club guide and an opportunity for your kids to meet the author or illustrator live on screen. So all you have to do is get the book, read it with your kids, and make those meaningful and lasting connections. They work for all ages, from your youngest kids to your teens. Every month, our community also gathers online for a circle with Sarah to get ideas and encouragement around creating the homeschooling life you crave. They're the most effective way I know to teach from rest and build a homeschool life you love. We want to help your kids fall in love with books, and we want to help you fall in love with homeschooling. Join us today at rarpremium.com.